of January. This retreat, uh, this the important for you to check yourself. You, you have to know what's happening to you. And, uh, you have to be the one that knows and uh, observant, and rather than than just ride along on a retreat, or expect somebody else to always keep checking you out or telling you what you should be doing. This is the path where we learn to really come to grips with ourselves. Now, during this retreat, I've tried to set an atmosphere of of uh, friendliness, um, silence, but being relaxed, being at ease, you know, not the kind of tension uh, arousing strict uh, socket to them type of retreats used to give in the winter time. <laughs> The nuns would all get sick and the because would have nervous breakdown. Now, this, in this Tamajaka Sutta, the ending of it is very significant. And the Buddha says, Anya Kundanya. Anya is the knowledge. Kundanya knows. And what is it that, that Kundanya knows? What is he seeing? He's seeing that all subject to writing is subject to ceasing. And this is what the Buddha is praising. And this is, this was out of the, this is the first sermon he gave after his enlightenment in the Deer Park, Marukataya one, uh, Isipatane Mikataye, and Isipatana uh, uh, in, um, it's now Saranath, in, uh, near Benares. To the five disciples, or five associates, or friends, who he had been practicing with, but who had, when he was doing his ascetic practices, and and this was uh, considered when, when he kind of let go of strict asceticism and uh, gave up that path of, of uh, self-torture. The five disciples left him. They thought that one gets very proud of being ascetic and, and you think if you give in slight, even to the slightest uh, bit of softness or ease that you're somehow cheating or letting the devil in who will take you over. This is the kind of self-righteous uh, arrogance that comes from from being very strict and very ascetic and, uh, and being very proud about it all and attached to that way of doing things. And those five uh, disciples were like that. They were very 
attached, very proud of their ascetic practices. And, uh, and when they saw Siddhartha or Gautama uh, kind of not doing it anymore, they, they felt disillusioned and left. And then it was after they left that, that Gautama uh, attained enlightenment or realized the truth. It wasn't through this, this uh, asceticism, self-torture, self-denial, uh, or it wasn't through just indulging or in just doing what you want, sens- sensual indulgence. So then he, when he went to, to uh, after his enlightenment, then he went to Benares to find these five disciples and, uh, and recited this sermon, the Dhammajaka Pavatana Sutta. And after he recited it, then the, 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 after he recited this, this uh, sutta, all the devas uh, started uh, rejoicing at this. And it goes from the, from the uh, because the, the devas rejoice at, at the enlightenment of a human being. And this is the benevolent forces in the universe, the refinement, the beautiful rejoice when a, whenever a human being gets enlightened they, they get they get very happy about it and so from the the um, uh, the four maharajas who are the uh, four kind of governors of space guardians of the world uh, north east, north south east and west the four maharajas set off there and they they heard this first sermon of the buddha they they rejoice, and then their their uh, rejoicing was heard up in, by in the uh, Dawadingsa heaven, and that's the one above the four Maharajas. And the Dawadingsa devas got rejoiced, and then it went up up to the very top, the heavenly realms. <laughs> now that is, uh, I mean, one one is what some people are very. Uh, uncomfortable around this kind of um, symbolism <laughs> because of our minds are conditioned to not think in those terms anymore. But it's the, the, the good forces in the universe, isn't it? We recognize our lowly position as a human being where we can only see a little bit and know only a little bit. We have really, I mean, it's very arrogant for us to think that our little bit is everything, isn't it? It's really arrogant the way Human beings can think our little world that we make, and sometimes people make pretty shoddy and tawdry and sordid little worlds, and believe that's all there is. It's arrogance, conceit. So this this is a way of acknowledging the the infinite mystery and variety and, and of the good forces that rejoice when a human being gets enlightened. Now, devas don't seem to get enlightened themselves. They seem to get very happy about when a human being does it, but I've never heard of one in the suttas becoming enlightened. They just rejoice. And if you notice in, in just in our life as uh, samanas, uh, that oftentimes with the kind of deva-like human beings that come here, the wealthy, the, the, um, the, the benevolent, kind-hearted, high-minded, altruistic, lovely lay people oftentimes rejoice 
at our practice, but they wouldn't want to do it themselves. <laughs> They're willing to support us, so we do it. But, but then they're so uh, attached to the beauty and loveliness and refinements of the Deva Loka that obviously they aren't quite ready to let go of that. But they do appreciate, isn't it? Like good, that which is truly good does appreciate enlightenment and goodness. <coughs> then after that whole sequence of, of, uh, of the Devas rejoicing, which is quite miraculous in its own uh, you know, it, it, it's marvelous beings rejoicing at the enlightenment of the Buddha. And then what does the Buddha praise after all this? He's not, he's not at all impressed by the devas and all that, but pleased and rejoiced at the, at the, uh, at Kondanya seeing the Dhamma. So then that is, that ends on that note, that this Anya Kundanya, that this, that this Kundanya has seen the truth. All that is subject to rising is subject to ceasing. So this is, this is reiterated throughout the suttas in the Tripitaka. All that is subject to rising is subject to ceasing. Why? It's such a, kind of boring thing to say, isn't it? You can't imagine you know, the kind of celestial majesty and, and uh, radiance that must have been going on with all those devas rejoicing up to the Brahma realms and the whole lot. But the Buddha was, was pleased and happy at the seeing clearly of one other human being. The others... The other four didn't seem to quite get it at first. They just seemed to think, well, that's very nice. But they didn't quite quite appreciate They didn't have the real insight, the enlightenment. It was Kundanya that did. So it's obviously not just being able to understand the words, is it? Because everybody understands the words. Anyone can say, oh, with only little minor training, say all the subject to rising and subject to ceasing. So it's not just in in knowing that as a formula or as a concept, but in that penetrating penetration of that, seeing that, knowing that as a jnana dasana knowledge, anya as a kind of profound knowledge, true insight. When we talk about anicca and this, this, this continuous reminder of the impermanence of this realm, the sensory realm. Of its unsatisfactoriness that the sensory realm is, its very nature is unsatisfying. And that it is, uh, it is not what one is. The Nietzsche Dukkanata is a continuous reflection for Buddhists practicing uh, insight meditation.
Now, how many people would rather just find out, did you, do you believe in God, or is there a God, or isn't there a God, or uh, these kind of metaphysical questions seem to be the predominant issues in most religious quests. That are the kind of, is the, do you believe in God, is, it, is what the Christians endlessly torture us with. You can't, can't meet a Christian without them throwing that one at you. Because believing in God is their well, their beginning point, isn't it? That's their... Uh, in the Kriya, I believe in God, is the first thing they say. So it's their... It's the foundation for everything in Christianity is to believe in God. And, and yet, to us, it's meaningless, doesn't it, to say that one believes in God doesn't really, isn't the way we think anymore. We don't think in those terms of believing or that you should believe in things. It's talking about the way things are. The, all the, the, and, and the way things are in the sensory realm is, is best described in that simple sentence, all that is subject to rising, subject to ceasing. Because if there's one one sentence in any language that can fully uh, say clearly, express the way things are at this moment is that whatever subject to rising is subject to ceasing. So there's arising and ceasing. During this retreat we've been in, uh, reflecting on the Paticca Samupanda, which is just this, uh, which is a tool to really investigate arising and ceasing, in which we see that, that very clearly how the mind works, what where the where the delusions tend to arise, what is the way things are, and what is the world that we create onto the way things are, to be able to see that difference, and to know that very clearly and and to remember that all the time that there is the suchness of being the way things are and then there's a whole different illusory world that we can construct in our minds out of greed, hatred and delusion and that illusory world tends to be in most people's lives the real world and very few human beings I've ever known know life as it is, or appreciate life as it is. Most of them live in illusory worlds, conditioned realms that they believe are, are the real world. And these worlds are, you know, always subject to grief, sorrow, despair, <coughs> anguish. The worlds that we project, the worlds that we create out of delusions, are always going to be disappointing because they're not based on truth, on insight, on on enlightenment, but on avicca, ignorance, not knowing things as they are. Now, the the in that sequence in the in the Purno, in the Tamajaka Sutta, when we the the three aspects, the first noble truth of the uh, there is suffering, there is dukkha. 
<clears throat> and I advise you to start using this, this way of, of speaking and thinking rather than, rather than when you're suffering, when you feel down or depressed or despairing or whatever, the tendency is to say, I'm suffering, I, I suffer. Where, if you notice the, the formula, says, there is suffering. Now, this is a very important uh, verbal expression because if you, if the, the, the truth of the way is, is there is suffering. Where I am suffering is based on an illusion. So we're not denying the suffering that you're experiencing. We're not, they know you're not suffering. There's no suffering. You're just making it up in your head. <laughs> but we're saying there is suffering as a, as a statement, a recognition that there is. There is this suffering. Then this is, this is, if you start thinking in this way, this is a learning how to think properly, more accurately, rather than making everything into the very highly personal expressions that we tend to use in regards to these matters. And then the insights that come from there is suffering, suffering should be understood, suffering has been understood. This is the barin, barinyaya dhamma. To, to use our, our uh, ability to look and understand something for what it is. And it's no longer just a, a, a kind of cursory glance or a, or a, th- a theoretical understanding. It's, it's a, the, these three insights, insight knowledge arises. There is suffering, suffering should be understood. When you, when you fully admit there is suffering, then the next insight is that it should be understood. Not something to just dismiss or get away from or reject, but should be understood. Vrinyayanti. And then, then through going to the suffering, to the dukkha, investigating it, then the insight, dukkha has been understood. These are three, three aspects of each truth. And the insight, uh, that, that sequence, jakkung utabhati, anang utabhati, vicca utabhati, panya utabhati, aloko utabhati. The utabhatis are the, the arising of this knowledge, this seeing, jakku, Jakung utabhati, the right seeing, jaku like the like the eye, or the tamajaka, or the jaku vinyana, the seeing clearly. Vicha utabhati is the is the is the opposite of avicha. Jnanang utabhati, jnana or knowledge. Panya utabhati. These are the, the all this is a, is is a is a verbal description of of the clarity of insight, the wisdom, the knowledge, and the clarity of of insight that comes uh, that is the true nature of the mind. 
it's it's a, it's a, that that knowing direct knowing, not theoretical. So it's beyond a doubt. It's not theoret- theoretical knowledge or just knowing about things. It will always leave you in a state of doubt. If you don't penetrate dhamma, then you're always going to never be quite sure what you're doing or whether you're on the right path or whether it's true or not or whether this is your path or whether this is the right path or maybe there's a another path that's more right or if this is the you should be doing this or if you're doing it right or not the whole waffling muddly muddled hesitating mind gets caught in in this theoretical knowledge doesn't it just ideas and and uh, views and opinions the titties the ditties that we that humans have always take you to never being quite sure, never really understanding anything very well. Because this uh, this insight knowledge is is a profound knowledge, direct knowledge. The second noble truth, and the bahada panti, the letting of bahana is a is the verb for letting go, letting go of desire. Then the niroda, satikatande, should be realized, satikatande, to realize the cessation. And then the uh, eightfold path should be developed, pavedapande, the word pavana, Pāvēda Pandi is to cultivate and develop this path. <clears throat> now, what I'm sincerely hoping that you all, every single one of you, all the bhikkhus, all the siladharas, all the anagarikas, all the anagarikas, and all the lay people will have insights knowledge during this retreat. See clearly. I think it over this, this endless waffling muddled states that some of you spend years in. It is pathetic sometimes. <laughs> but I mean one realizes that that some people maybe take years. <laughs> this is why we we apply ourselves to this. This is what's not why you can't it can't be pushed on you. I can't make you do it. The kind of retreats where where you kind of sock it to them and whip them into line and all that tend to develop maybe certain other qualities, but it doesn't really open the mind to to its reflectiveness and to insight. Now with insight knowledge you get beyond doubt. Doubt is the wichikicha problem, isn't it? It's called wichikicha in Pali. And it 
And it's that very kind of that mental state that's just it's a never, never sure of anything because you're you're always thinking about something. If you're thinking about things, then you're never you, you'll always and you're attached to thinking and views. You're you're always going to be end up with it with a mind full of doubt. It's just the the way it works. So that the the uh, insight has to come through very determined investigation, not just a half-hearted attempt, because half-hearted attempts will leave you with half-hearted results, which end up as doubt. Well, I don't know whether I really... Now, doubt is, is, is doubt, it, whatever it is. You think some, some, there are important doubts and there are unimportant doubts. Is this path the one for me? Am I really a Buddhist? These are important doubts. Then, then you can have trivial doubts, like, what was the name of that man that came the other day? And where did where did uh, I put the telephone key? Did I put the handbrake on? <laughs> <laughs> that could be an important doubt. <clears throat> but what what I'm pointing to isn't the importance or the trivial triviality of the doubt, but the state of doubting is like that, isn't it? Where your mind stops. What is what was the name of that man that came here the other where is the telephone key? Is this, am I really a Buddhist? What happens to the mind when you ask a question? Who am I? What should I do next? And so you, you just note that that whole way of thinking, that question form, that, that uncertainty, re recognize that, that at that at that moment you're not thinking. At the, when you've asked the question, who who was what was the name of that man that came the other day? If you're aware that your mind you're not thinking after you've asked after you've thought the question, your mind stops. So you you try to really notice, realize that where where the mind isn't thinking. Who am I? What is my, what is the sound of the clap of one hand? What is the, how far away is, is Mars from the planet Earth? Whatever. It, you're, you're, you're looking at the, you're not trying, you're not seeking an answer to the question, but noticing what it is to, to have an empty mind, a mind that's not thinking. The mind goes quite blank when you don't know the answer. So you notice that, that state of not knowing, to be aware of not knowing. Then there's a, but then there's a reaction of wanting to know, isn't there? That's a condition, you've got to know the answer, because if there's a, if there's a question and you aren't sure, the, the, we're conditioned to always want an answer, to know. Who was that? What's the name of that man? Was it Ralph? Was it Fred? Was it Henry? Well, 
oh, I can't be bothered and just dismiss it. Or, I mean, that's, that's the general pattern, isn't it? To try to, try to uh, uh, answer, answer the question. But if you really just look at the not knowing state, where the mind isn't knowing something, isn't, doesn't have an answer, and, and that's a, a real, to realize that state, to know that, to, to recognize that, is very important in this path. So that you can abide there in, without this endless pursuing of trying to get answers and trying to know about things and figure everything out. And, and, and uh, have, uh, this is the, the desire, the gamadana, pavadana, vipavadana of our lives. Always wanting to figure everything out, have the answers, uh, make sure that everything is right and that we're doing the right thing And so if this is one way of investigating that te- using the, your, your doubting nature as a contemplation rather than just trying to, to smother doubt or convince yourself with answers. Am I really a Buddhist? Am I really in my heart of hearts, deep down, honestly, truly, could I say that I am a real dyed-in-the-wool Buddhist. <laughs> That's going to be very sincere and searching about the way I uh, stated that question, isn't it? Deep down inside, where it really counts in my heart of hearts, am I, Tameda Bhikkhu, really a Buddhist? Then, because if I'm caught in the seriousness of my search and question, and I think that's, a, that's an important one, you know, I'm asking theory from the depths of my soul. There's something something very significant about that question and totally serious and it's not just being flippant, facetious. So that this, this we can be quite, quite, quite uh, impressed and taken back with, our, with, with the important doubts of our lives and we can quite dismiss the trivial ones. No, it's not worth even thinking about. Just get rid of it, you know. Pass it by. But this is an important one. But what, but what I recommend is to, is to just see what, the, what doubt does. Who am I is a, is, a, is a question. And, you know, is that a terribly important question? You know, I'm Sumedha Bhikkhu. I know the answer. But who am I really? But it's not important to get a, you know, well, I, could, I could show you my birth certificate, my passport. Or maybe it's more of a metaphysical me that I'm searching for, some, the son of God or the... 
the the divine flame reincarnated or something on, on that level. <laughs> but the this this isn't what we're after. Some some identity, even with the most uh, uh, beautiful concepts, but there's to recognize the mind that with no self in it, when there's nobody. And so this is this is uh, when when the self when the when when me and mine has ceased, because in that moment uh, there's no if you if you're mindful if you're aware. There's nothing in the mind. It's a blank. I mean, in, as far as the, as thought goes, but there is awareness. Isn't it? It's not. It's not blank as unconscious uh, uh, vacuum. But it's it's a blank in the fact that there's nothing, no condition. There's only the awareness, attention, and awareness to the mind. And so you recognize that. That's not to be just dismissed as a... Uh, with with uh, religious life, with spiritual life, you're, you're not just going from one word and one thought and one idea, one doctrine to another, one symbol to another, but you're, you're looking at the totality of it, of it, the space between things, the silence, Behind the noise, you know, all, what is it? All sound arises and ceases in the silence. Isn't it? Sound uh, has no is, is very fleeting, isn't it? You can't hold a, a note or a sound; it it arises and ceases very quickly in the silence. And so, in your mind, you you notice the space of the mind where where the thoughts arise and cease in the mind. Can you really notice that and get to know that so well that all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing in your mind? You're not applying this on a, a macrocosmic level yet. You're applying it merely to mental phenomena, mental phenomena that you're experiencing. Then the then the uh, contemplation of the way things are that even when there's no self, there's still these formations. There's feeling, consciousness, op- still operates as vijnana, nama rupa, salayatana, pasa vedana. Is uh, is what we call the old karma, isn't it? It's the karma, the resultant karma of birth in this form. So this, this, is, uh, this is just the way it is. There's, it's like this. We, in our lives, in our lifetime, we are going to be feeling and conscious of things. But our refuge is no longer in, in the things, but in the knowing, in that awareness and knowing of things as they are. (laughs) 
when you when you accept just the the way things are, the the body as it is, and the feelings that you have, uh, sitting, uh, and and just b- being able to accept what it is to be, to have a human body that that is this way and feels like this, and to to understand how consciousness works, what consciousness is. So one isn't isn't I, one isn't just uh, being deluded or being caught in the force of habit and the latent tendencies of one's life in one's mind. One can actually let go of these tendencies to, to allow things to cease, to realize the cessation of these tendencies in the mind. And in that spaciousness of mind, You're in touch, you're in tune with an ultimate, with the totality, with, with immortality. You've broken through the illusions of being a, a personality, a conditioned thing, somebody, uh, and, all the, and all the complicated uh, sticky web that we create onto that those delusions. Because being personalities and being men and women and being somebody, being Ajans and being senior monks and being all these things, if if it's if it's uh, when we become these things then it becomes a, a burden and ends up in despair. So are, we're not seeking an identity with anything, but letting go of, identi- of that tendency to grasp or stick to views, opinions, or the conditioned world. Get stuck onto it. Now, just take that image of of uh, in of the aramana, where you're, you say your your ayatana, your I, and the object uh, of of the senses is they called a Ramana and you get stuck onto it. The 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 heedless person is always getting stuck and the eyes either get stuck onto this or stuck onto thoughts and views. You're you're always sticking to things, being pulled out into the objective world. And you don't even know what that it's happening. You're just so so used to it, so conditioned by it, like the fish in the water you you only you you you're right in the water, so you don't even know that it's water because you're swimming in it. So when you're swimming in the sensual uh, desires, then it's like being in the water. You just you're so you're you're caught in this in it. You're you're so close you can't see it. It's just what you think is normality. So this is where. The reflectiveness of our mind is the way out of that. Like a fish doesn't have a reflective mind, can't contemplate water. But we can contemplate desire, we can contemplate the nature of our body, we can contemplate uh, the feeling and consciousness, we can reflect on, on what it is to to feel like this, what it is to feel pleasure, feel pain, feel heat or feel cold, what it is. We can contemplate beauty, the experience of beauty or ugliness or 
success and failure. We can, we can contemplate the feeling of somebody uh, being angry with us or somebody admiring us. We can contemplate the feeling of, of praise, of being praised or being criticized. We can contemplate this. I mean, we can actually reflect on what it feels like somebody crit- calls you a, 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 or criticizes you if you're mindful, you can contemplate the, what it feels like. But it isn't just for a kind of psychotherapy that we're doing. This is not just so that we can be happier people, but to realize ultimate reality, to be free from this attachment to mortality out of delusion, is what what we, what the problem with hum- humanity is, it, it's identified and attached to mortality as reality. The mortal world, the conditioned realm, all that it is impermanent and unstable and unsatisfying is what most human beings regard as real, as the real world. You know, most of your parents regard that as the real world. having your own home, having a profession. That's the real world. Getting married, having babies. That's the re- that's reality. You come here and you're not, you're not, you're not, you're trying to avoid reality, escape reality, they think. Reality is, 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 is becoming somebody. And doing the normal things that that uh, that doesn't dressing normally, having growing your hair so it looks normal, and being in the real world, or the real world for some people can be a world of revolution. The society is so bad, the establishment is so rotten, we've just got to destroy it. We we can't just sit here, watching our breath and contemplating impermanence. We've got to get out there and stop the, the nuclear war fanatics and we've got to make sure that they, they don't do this and that we, they don't allow that. So that there's this kind of urgent real world that's always on the verge of, of, a, of a nuclear explosion. Or the, the real world can be the physical world, the ecology and the conservation is the popular subject of the day now, isn't it? That seems urgent. That the re- the environment is 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 important. We've got to save the environment. Like the environment is the real world. The aramana is the real world. But the Buddha takes us to the to the subject of that world and the creator of that world through this, through this meditation. That's why in, in, here in a community you can, uh, you can see the, how it, the, this, the living in a community and the problems and the irritations, frustrations of community life bring out the real world things in us, doesn't it? These, these are real problems. This person didn't show up today, and this person 
uh, is this way and this person is that way and and we consider these real problems and and we can really be spend uh, a long time you know hours being caught up in feeling indignant or angry or upset or insulted or offended or or whatever by these these things that happen in in this in this sensitive realm but what buddha is pointing to is is the real subject of using the the, the life of of uh, this of these unsatisfactory conditions as a reflection rather than as creating it into a view of a person because this is an impermanent temporary unsatisfying realm there's no way you'll find satisfaction in it or 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 that anything in it is going to last or give you any real happiness I saw when my father died last last August my mother and father had been married 61 years and my father always said it was happiest marriage it was so wonderful we we had such a happy life together 61 years and they did they got on very well and uh they had a quite a successful and happy life but the absolute anguish and despair my father was feeling of having to be separated and leave it was very obvious incredible anguish and sorrow at having to die so even at the end of a happy life in what all that is mine beloved and pleasing will become otherwise will be separated so this is that's why in this realm of of sensory conditioned things it's i mean you can it's not to to uh, deny the beauty and the and the perfection that does exist in 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 the conditioned realm in its in its uh, forms and colors and and that is not to to dismiss it or deny it but to see that it's not going to satisfy to know it that that this this realm is not our real home this is not where we really feel at ease where we we can ever find our uh, our true home we don't really belong here anyway this is a journey a peregrination we're foreigners in a strange land and i don't mean americans in britain <laughs> now contemplate you know when you if you if you if you still expect to find uh something in this world that will satisfy you you know that that is a a longing a hope understandable one 
And I don't mean to say, oh, it's just, you know, I'm not expecting you to believe what I'm saying, in other words, but encouraging you to investigate the way things are so, you, so you'll, you'll know yourself what the state of affairs is. In fact, I don't want you to just quote me or go around saying, all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing, as if you really understood it, because you, you know the words. It's to really see that, to 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 investigate that, to know, letting go of things, what that is like. To know when you've let go of things, to know when it, what attachment is and what non-attachment is. When uh, this is. Not, not to, to assume that you shouldn't be attached to anything as an ideal. That's, that's another attachment. But to investigate attachment, if you're really upset, if you're really uh, obsessed or upset or by something, it's because of, of attachment. You're really feeling done by or, or upset by anything or threatened by anything. It's because you're attached to something. So you you can see the attachment then. Not just dismiss it with saying, I shouldn't be attached to anything, but to recognize what attachment is, how it feels, and then to let go of things. So you, you real, realize what it's like to not be attached, to be able to let go, let things go. And that, that's insight knowledge. You, you actually are knowing this in a direct way from just little things that happen in daily life. You don't need to wait for the big, important things of life. Just use daily life here. What happens during this retreat is perfect for enlightenment. The weather mild and pleasant like it's been, or we could get another Siberian freeze, or whatever happens, it's all our opportunity to investigate Dhamma, good fortune or bad fortune or good health or bad health or whatever they, whatever might arise and cease during this uh, two-month retreat. Those of you who are willing to use it for reflection will have the insight. Those of you who just react to it with uh, attraction and aversion will remain confused and doubtful. Now when you're feeling if you're not feeling good or you're feeling emotionally confused or unhappy or something, then admit it. Not say, not from, from the position of I, but there is this feeling. It feels like this. When you feel confused or upset, what does it feel like? There is this feeling of being confused or unhappy or uncertain. What does it feel like? It feels like this. You don't have to have a, a word or a perception for how it feels. You don't have to call it anything. 
but just know it. It's like this. Because the, usually we don't notice anything unless we perceive it with something. You don't notice things unless you have a name for them. And because the, that's what we're attached to is, is, is the names of things. So we, you say, if, you, if you're listening to, uh, say, Western music, isn't it? that uses octaves. We, we hear only certain notes that is conditioned through, through listening to Western uh, music, European music. And yet sound is a continuous thing, isn't it? It's not, not just octaves, sharps and flats and that. You can, you're conditioned to just notice things, not to notice space. So that, that you, doesn't mean there isn't space, but you, you don't notice. And that which you have no perception for, you, you ignore, you, you tend to dismiss. Any thoughts or feelings or that, that, that don't quite fit into the acceptable list of perceptions of your life, you can ne- neatly suppress. And yet, so most of life experiences doesn't have any name, does it? The way one feels right now doesn't have any name. The, the way things are. It can't, how can you say it is one way right now? When we're trying to find a name that would, a perception that would describe this exact moment as it is. mind boggles, doesn't it? Because it's just this way. And so you, you and being sensitive, you, you just be sensitive to the way it is. Meaning, trust in being open to the way it is, rather than trying to figure out how it is. It's just as is, the as isness, the suchness of being, of the way things are. Rather than trying to figure out in your mind exactly how it is right now, with a with and have a word or some kind of description of it, which you, then you you can't stay with the way it is because it's like uh, trying to to uh, to write down all your thoughts while watching a a moving uh, a a cinema, isn't it? And you you know, write this down and you can't you keep can't keep track of what's happening on the screen. This is where the the sadhar faith is, where you can really trust in in refuge of Buddha Dhamma Sangha to just be aware of things and not to feel you have to figure it out or name everything or categorize everything or have 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 a theory or a position or opinion, or, or a view, or whatever, about anything whatsoever. Because that's the sticky world, isn't it? The world that you get stuck into, and get carried away by. Well, this, this is transcending the world. You're not creating a, a things to get stuck onto, but you are with the flow, the flux, of the energies that we are all experiencing and feeling within these forms. These forms are, are, are uh, 
like this. They're they're not. Uh, they interact with the environment, don't they? They they're they're a part of the planet, planetary life. And notice that the human position is one where we're not like animals with our nose to the ground, are we? We have we have a a connection to the divine. That's why we stand erect. Because we're not just earthbound animals, creatures, just planetary beings. Even though the bodies are definitely uh, planetary, the aspiration, the, 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 the intention always goes towards the heavens, isn't it? Towards the divine, towards the deathless. So this is, this is a strange thing to be, isn't it? a human being is a pretty strange thing when you think of it. Person. Imagine any of these kind of ladies that just cuddles you all the time and feeds you things and you know. <laughs> And all your worries, um, you don't have any anything to worry about. You're just taken care of and pampered. But being being human is like this, isn't it? I mean, we can't we we can't be happy just by being taken care of and pampered, can we? That doesn't doesn't satisfy us. We just some find somebody to take care of me and pamper me. Would never I'd never be satisfied with that. I can't be a lap dog. I wouldn't. I wouldn't find that. I couldn't. I couldn't really be content in, in that position. Because there's this. There's always been this. This uh, intuitive sense of something more than just sensory comfort and and uh, and the planetary life. That's why I became a monk. Listening, really, the, the, the idea of attention and listening. And the, we use the the sound of silence. That's a kind of like a a, a um, something that one wants to identify and is very helpful because it it helps you to keep attention, to pay attention, to be with the moment as is. And to reflect on it, so you you can you you you're, you're contemplating the body, the feeling of the vedana of the body, because the body is, is going to be feeling something. Feeling is impermanent, but it but because the the body is a sensitive thing and it's in a sensual realm, and the aramanas and all that are surrounding it, it's going to be feeling something or other, if you notice. That the feeling is just this the way it is, painful, pleasurable, or neither painful nor pleasurable. And you go to the feeling of when you're feeling angry or you're feeling offended by something or other. Go to the what is the feeling of it? 
contemplate the feeling so that you're not proliferating or suppressing so that it's Vedana Vedana Nupasana very important and to, to reflect on on this, the way things are bring, bring, uh, um, so that you you uh, are with the flow of, it, of, the, of the way things happen to be now This evening we have the, we sit till midnight and uh, so the rest of the evening I leave up to you to, to uh, practice, hopefully you'll practice accordingly due to my inspiring talk. You will, uh, you will, uh, With diligence, strive on.